I want you to know that I washed my hands before I shook your hand today, so it's okay. Uh, if you could please open your Bible to the book of Revelation. Probably won't be too hard to find. It's the last book in the Bible. Chapter 21, page 1041. We won't read all of 21 and 22, but it's a continuation, but we're going to read the first eight verses in just a moment. Our fall kickoff series wraps up today, actually wraps up tonight, with our prayer walk that, that Jamie explained to the children. Hopefully that was a helpful explanation for you, meeting down on uh, Century Boulevard, the back parking lot at the library. Hope that you'll come out for that. Next week I'll be away camping at the beach with the Boy Scouts. Uh, and Pastor Derek will be here, and we'll get back to our series in the book of James that we left off at the end of spring before summer, James, Faith Plus Action, and so hope that you'll be back with us next week. But tonight, or today, we are concluding our series titled, Bless Our City. We, we've been exploring what it means to be a church for our city. Not a church that's just in the city, a holy huddle where we take care of our own. Definitely not a church that's against the city with an attitude of antipathy or, or even antagonistic towards what's happening in our region. And not a church of the city, as in imitating or, or mimicking wholesale whatever we see outside our windows. Well, that seems to be what we ought to do and be as a church. Our prayer and our challenge is to love and serve and reach and bless our city, to be for our city as commanded, we believe, by Jesus. He calls us to be for our city, and that's what we've been trying to unpack and looking at Scripture this entire month, to reach our city, to serve, to, to evangelize our, our city and to love on our neighbors regardless of whether they respond to the message of the good news or not. Either way, we are going to find practical ways to love them, to serve them, to find out what's happening uh, uniquely in our area and, and, and in our time that we can make a difference in people's lives. This is very important. You have to listen because unless and until our neighbors see us genuinely serving and loving and reaching them with a, with a blessing and with a hope, they'll, they'll never listen to our words of evangelism in the first place. Now, many of us ought to know the old cliche, don't be so heavenly minded that you'll be no, of no earthly good. Have you heard this saying? Don't be so heavenly minded, your head's in the clouds, that you'll do no earthly good. Well, to the contrary, being heavenly minded inspires us to do earthly good. And that's what we'll see in today's passage. Being heavenly minded, seeing a vision of our future, inspires Christians to do great good works here on earth. Today's text is the revelation of Jesus Christ it's the Lord pulling back the curtain. That's literally what the word apocalypse in the Greek means. It means to, to unveil. It's a pulling back for Christians to see a glimpse beyond time and space of the future that's close at hand 
and that's coming. And these Christians that first saw it in every generation since have been inspired by that vision of hope to do good in their city. Let's find out why. Let's read Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. This is John the Apostle, the, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John and the letters of John. This is that John. He says at the end of the Revelation, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things had passed away. He, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty. I will give for the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So God, as we turn to your word now, open our eyes and soften our hearts to see, to hear, and experience what this vision has to say to us today in this world and to be preparing us for the inheritance and the triumph of the world to come. We pray in Jesus' name, our risen King. Amen. So John caught a glimpse, a, a vision of a new heaven and a new earth. And what did he see? A city. The, the Bible starts with the creation of a garden and ends with, no, it actually it begins again with a vision of a garden city, a perfect city made by God, not by our own technology or, or innovation, but coming down from the heavens, a new heaven and a renewed earth, a city made by God. John has this incredible vision of hope. It's not a fairy tale. It's not pie in the sky, by and by till you die. It's a profoundly optimistic vision of hope. And it's a vision of a city. Now, everyone needs hope. Whether you live in the country, a village, or you're a city dweller, we all need hope. Whether it's citizens of this region, or people living in the most dangerous city in the world, which happens to be Caracas, Venezuela, or children waking up today to war-torn Aleppo, Syria, or our fellow citizens in Flint, Michigan, who 
when they turn their taps on, poison comes out, and they have to rely on water being shipped in. Or our brothers and sisters in Charlotte, North Carolina, who are grieving and are angry today. Or our fellow brothers and sisters and citizens in Wilmington, Washington, who are trying to make sense of what has happened in their city. Wherever you go, there seems to be a great need for hope, a cry for something that, that, that could help heal our nation in the midst of so much anxiety and social divides and, and concern about the economy. And is the election helping at all? Isn't it just throwing gasoline on all of that and concerns? There's a need for hope. This is a vision of hope. Uh, too much ink has been spilt and Christians split over the where's and when for's of, of revelation. We get all torqued up about, well, when is this going to happen and how will it happen? But praise God, one thing we can know for, for certain, each day is one day closer to this vision becoming a reality. Amen? This is our hope. But we take this hope and this vision of a city of the future by faith, but it's not faith without facts to back it up. And the fact is, this vision of hope, this vision of a city that's perfect, where there's perfect justice and peace, when it was first heard by those that, that received John's vision, their lives were profoundly changed. And being heavenly minded inspired them to do earthly good from that generation for a millennia. So let's hear a little bit about the book of Revelation, and it really deserves its own sermon series, and maybe we'll return to it, but let's understand the nuts and bolts of what's going on. Uh, to be reminded that John is writing from a prison on the island of Patmos, which is off the coast of modern-day Turkey. It's the year 96 AD. He's writing to the Christian church in cities where they are facing incredibly hard times, and you can read about those cities at the beginning of the Revelation, the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Lacedaemon, um, Alderaan. Alderaan. I'm making sure you're listening. That's where Princess Leia is from, from Star Wars. <laughs> just, just checking. No, these are our real cities. This isn't fantasy. These city Christians were facing the first and most severe persecutions under the emperor Domitian. He was known affectionately by his friends as the beast from hell. How about that for a Marshawn Lynch uh, from my hometown as it goes beast mode. This guy is known as the beast from hell. Why? Because of his persecution of Christians. They were being rounded up and thrown to the lions. They were being set ablaze in gardens of Rome to light the way. At 4th of July, you buy a probably illegal in Montgomery County, you buy a Roman candle that shoots off all those fireworks. These were Christians lighting a garden. Hundreds, if not thousands, crucified along the byways in and out of Rome to scare people into not believing in the way. And the city of Jerusalem, God's city, was a pile of rubble ever since 70 AD when the Romans marched in and destroyed everything. And so these city Christians were asking themselves, is this what it means to be a follower of Christ? 
and they wanted to desert the way. Or at the very least, get out of the city. Is there some place we can run and hide? Some other place we can go and, and have supplies and reserves and, and live a life, but outside of the city, is there any hope? And John offers these first century Christians a vision of heavenly hope. He sees a holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, created by God, and he describes it as beautiful as a bride on her wedding day. Look at verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Now get this. The, the Lord didn't say, I'm making all new things. He said, I'm making all things new. It's a vision of renewal, of, of restoration, not destruction. It's not coming in and tearing everything down and, and rebuilding something new. It's not tearing up a forest or tearing up uh, farmland and, and laying a new foundation. It's renewing. And the Bible says this new heaven and new earth that's coming is our inheritance in Christ, that we are a part of this renewal even now. So let's look at these verses. I've only read eight verses. I, I can't do justice to this entire vision of the city. It's from chapter 21 all the way to chapter 22, verse, verse 5. It, I can't cover it all in one message, but what I want you to notice, and I'll try to quickly point out, all that is there and all that is not going to be there. Think of the things that we worship we're here in our region. And maybe that's the metro line coming all the way up uh, past Germantown, all the way to Frederick. Maybe not. Maybe we don't want to see traffic. Maybe autonomous cars. What is it that we want to see there and not there? Well, John gives us that, that glimpse. First, what won't be there? Notice it says, no sea. Now, we love the sea. We love going to the ocean. I'm going to be camping at the ocean. But in the ancient world, <coughs> The, the symbol of the sea was a symbol of chaos. And so John's seeing a world where there is no more chaos. And secondly, no more tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain. Why? Because, what a beautiful image, he will wipe away all our tears. No more crying. None of the character traits or behaviors that are inconsistent with the kingdom of God which ruin lives, they'll all be replaced with bravery and faithfulness and all that is beautiful and life-giving and pure and honorable to God and, and all relationships, all those things that, that are life robbers will be taken away and those that give life and these great qualities will be fully present. There'll be no temple There'll be no temple because the whole city will be a place to worship God. There'll be no need for the sun, verse 23. Don't ask him about laws of thermodynamics. Ask someone smarter than me. But somehow they will we will have a world without the need for a sun. No closed gates. Verse 25, and no longer anything that causes the curse. The curse of trying to live independent of God. These are all things that will, in one fell swoop, be taken away. And what will be in the city? God will be there. God will be there. Verse 3 says, God will dwell with man. The glory of God will be there, expressed by the radiant gemstones, verse 11, and, and the beautiful light in verse 23. There'll be stuff, there'll be physical stuff that you can touch and hold on to. 
Think of Jesus when he rose again. What did he do with his friends? He ate breakfast. He literally ate breakfast. We will be able to do that. Imagine what that stuff will be like. There'll be peoples. Verse 3, his people. This is plural form. People gathered from all over the globe will be there. There'll be creativity. There'll be lots of it. There'll be art and music and science. Imagine the discoveries. Yes, there will still be things to discover with all that God has shown us. There'll still be things that we can learn. And there will be life. Chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, quote, the angel showed me the river of water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Imagine that, a city alive. And best of all, the angel says, look, behold the city, you will have the face of God. 22.4, and there they shall see his face. This is our hope. This is humanity's hope. This is the city of the future. This is the vision of the city of hope, the reality that God is preparing for his people to enjoy since the beginning of time. And it wasn't only a vision that John had in one book of the Bible. It's throughout Scripture. The promise and the vision. In one verse, 2 Peter 3.13, Peter writes, according to his promise, we are, what, waiting, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter is writing again to Christians under pressure, and he's reminding them the future hope that's to come. On the front page of the Washington Post a few weeks back when I was getting ready for our series, I saw an article front page above the fold. It was about the homicide rate and shooting rate in one of our greatest cities, Chicago, Illinois, and the terrible impact in, that that's having in that community and is not covered nearly as much as it ought to be. And this quote from the police superintendent was quoted saying, quote, it's not a police issue. It's not a society issue. People without hope do these kinds of things. People without hope do these kinds of things. And I just heard on the news the other day that they're planning to hire a thousand more police officers for Chicago in the next three years. Will that solve it? Will that bring peace and justice? We don't know. See, everyone needs hope. Last night I was watching the, the, the Global Citizen Festival, New York City, 60,000 people, millions watching online, uh, movie stars and music stars and folks crying out for, for hope, for change to address things that we can change in this world, uh, disease and, and hardships and, and a, a cry, a plea for everyone to get involved. But the mics, the speakers, the extent to which that message could go forth could only go so far. Everyone crying for some hope. But real hope, not pie in the sky, by and by till we die, something real. 
The first city Christians who heard John's vision, when they heard it, they were able to take their pain, their fear, all of the social injustice that they were suffering with poise and with a degree of peace never seen before. The more they were put down, the more they rose up. The more their numbers were decreased by persecution, the further the spread of the gospel to all of the known world. The more their lives and livelihoods were threatened, the more they blessed others. It had never been seen in human history, a group of people blessing and benefiting in practical ways those outside of their race or tribe or, or kingdom. These Christians that were an amalgamation of different peoples, Jews and Gentiles alike, were coming together and forming a new and better society. Why? Because they knew their citizenship was beyond this world. You see, they were heavenly minded. And because they had that vision of the new heaven and new earth, they were able to do great good here. And people saw them. They saw the way they loved and served and reached out. And they started to say, there's something about those people. Something different about these followers of the way. The church follower uh, Tertullian, the Carthage, Africa, writing, I believe, in, in the uh, mid to late 300s, maybe 400s, he wrote this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs, those people who die for taking a prayer walk. Imagine if we go for a prayer walk and we're all rounded up and thrown into the paddy wagon. He says the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. How did it do it? Because they were living with an indelible hope. They knew that their true home was pure gold. And so if they were fleeced and all the gold in their pockets was taken, no problem. I know that I have an uh, inheritance to come. They knew this vision of triumph was trustworthy and true because they took Jesus at his word. And they were so heavily minded that nothing could take their hope away. And so then they did earthly good. And they followed Jesus' lead. Feeding the poor, healing the sick, proclaiming good news to trust the lordship of Jesus Christ and the liberating message of Christ's kingdom that can be experienced and inherited today. God's original purpose to reign in a kingdom free from darkness. Who wouldn't want that? And God calls us, church, today to participate in the renewal of society until he comes again and finishes what he started. The city of God for tomorrow gives us hope for the city of man today. So we don't have to be against the city or just in the city or of it. We can be for it. We can be forward and trust that God is working in and through our community outreach, our personal evangelism, our works of social justice throughout our region. Now, none of us here, I don't suspect, will be thrown to a line anytime soon. Most of us, but not all of us here, will not experience war firsthand, thank God. But there are things that weigh us down, are there not? Things that cause you anxiety, concern, trying to make ends meet, 
things that are causing us fear about our country's future. We see injustice and terror and greed. We see racism and the effects of all the life robbers around us coming up and we were sold this bill of goods, the things were gonna get better each year and each year in our life we see more and more things that are in need of change, of great progress in some regards and still the need for something. For those of us who know Jesus, we know it's not a something, it's a someone. Because when our worldview is shaped in this way by the reality of the hope of the future, all of the worst evil in this world is put into perspective. It becomes light and momentary by comparison to what God has in store for us, the deepest longings of our heart. How do we get this hope? How do we get this hope, this blessing in our lives? How are we blessed so that we can be a blessing by believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Look, the gospel's right here, even in this passage. Look at verse 6. The Lord Jesus says, To the thirsty I will give for the spring of the water of life. Look at that, free of charge, without payment. Now remember the scene of Jesus with the woman at the well? John chapter 4, remember, same John wrote this. The woman at the well who came in the heat of the day because of the social embarrassment. So she came at that time of day to get water to draw it from that deep well. And Jesus says, I offer you water that will satisfy you. And she doesn't understand. She thinks, what, you don't have a bucket. He says, no, no, I'm offering you eternal life. I'm offering to you a sip of water from the river that flows in the city of God that satisfies your deepest longings. How do you get a sip of that? Jesus says it's free of charge. How? Because he paid the price of it on the cross. Because John recorded when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, I thirst. And that wasn't just a physical thirst. That was a cosmic thirst because Christ emptied himself because he experienced that utter separation, that complete injustice, the pain and agony and suffering, the full weight of all that our sin would impact on all of humanity and all of the world was laid on him because he paid it all. And because he thirsts, we can live and we can sip and we can chug from the river and not just for ourselves. The Bible also says, John says, John 7, then we become a fountain flowing, a spirit flowing out of us to touch others. This is the living hope offered to you in believing Jesus. So the book of Revelation was written to give courageous hope to Christians who are facing trouble. It's absolutely clear and practical and relevant today. If you get a hold of this vision and put your faith in it and trust in the hope we have in the future, you can do great good works today to God's glory. And we're doing that now. And that's what this church is about. And we invite you to be a part of it. The heart of what I do is preach the word and, and prepare messages and, and to share the gospel, but it is an incomplete message 
if I don't also call you to action, to care for your neighbors, to feed the hungry, to help the poor, to get out of our lives, the life that everyone else is living, and to give of ourselves free of charge to share God's love. That is the full message of the gospel. Steve's taught us a song. I think Steve's going to come up soon. Where is Steve? Steve's going to come up in just a moment to lead us in a song we've been singing every morning this month after the sermon. It's called God of Our City. You see the words in your bulletin. In a few weeks, they'll be on the screen, but for now, they're in your bulletin. The song was not written by Chris Tomlin. Many of you think that because that's the version that's on the radio. It was actually written by some lads from Belfast, Northern Ireland, from a band called Blue Tree. And the story goes that this band uh, was sent by their church on a mission trip to Pattaya, Thailand, the sex tourist capital of the world. And these men went, these young men went as an outreach there to this region of Thailand. And a friend of a friend of a friend owned a bar and they hired the band, not knowing it was a Christian band, to play in a brothel to entertain the customers. The bar owner did not know he was bringing Christians into his establishment. And so the band started to play, and they were singing praises to the Lord and, and proclaiming God's grace and glory to a room full of prostitutes and sinners. It sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Surrounded by hopeless women made in the image of God. Surrounded by thirsty, sick men from Great Britain, Australia, the United States, elsewhere. Made in the image of God. And the lyrics and music came to Aaron Boyd. The, in the middle of his set, he wrote, quote, the, the song spontaneously came out of my mouth. Greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. By God the Father's grace, by the authority of Christ, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, this church will be a church for our city to bring glory to God, to bring God's light and, and love, to be salt to this region. Let's sing this song as a prayer and as a challenge. So as the band comes up and gets ready, let me pray. Oh God, I pray that this song would be both a prayer and a challenge to us. For you are the God of this city. You are the Lord of all. Greater things are yet to be done here, Lord. We count it a privilege that you would include us in that good kingdom work. Hear our prayer now as we sing before you, God. Sing through our song, God of the city. You're the God of this city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. Join us and sing. There is no one. There is 
for greater things are yet to come, and greater things are still to be done in this city. Father God, we thank you for giving us this day to worship in your presence as we lift your name on high to glorify your name. We thank you for your faithfulness and goodness and your unfailing love through Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for us all so that we may live and have hope in you. Father God, as we go into the world today and bless our city, we ask you to give us power and strength and courage to be a church for our city. As we will be gathered together later today for our prayer work, uh, renew our hearts and equip us with the armor of Holy Spirit. So when we go out there and pray for the city and reach out to the people who may not know your love, may your word be heard so that this city and the people will be blessed and may hear your name and find hope and love in you. And Father God, now we pray for the four-year-old Kemzi, who was buried yesterday. May God comfort his grieving parents, family, and friends. Please, please, we pray for Amanda, for her hurting body, Father God. Give us strength, physical strength, and spiritual, and renew her body, and soul, and spirit. We also pray for our nation, 
especially our African-American fellow citizen, for justice and unity. May your justice done in this place, Lord Jesus. And now as we lift all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, let us pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now please arise and sing 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord. 